0: In the church, uh, we call the Christmas season Advent. And all that word means is arrival. And we're talking, of course, about the arrival of Jesus um, in the church. The Israelites were waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. And for us, Christmas is a time to remember the arrival of Jesus because it happened in our past. And that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. And the series is called Season of Longing. And we're going to look uh, at how the arrival of Jesus relates to our deepest longings as human beings. Okay, At least some of them. And this morning, we're going to consider the longing for significance. And our text is a Psalm of David, uh, King David, Psalm 103. So this is verse 1. Psalm 103, this is God's word. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So David begins with worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are the benefits of the Lord? David says he's the one who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Okay, so God forgives sin. He heals diseases and he redeems life. In other words, God deals with our spiritual problem, and he deals with all the physical problems that sin causes, including sickness and death. But there's more, David says. God replaces those bad things with good things. He's the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He's the one who satisfies you with good So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay, so God replaces sin, sickness, and death with covenant love, mercy, goodness, and renewal. What else does God do? David says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. the emphasis on how God deals with his people. How does he deal with you? How does he deal with me? He is patient. He is merciful. He's not dealing with us according to our failures. In fact, David begins searching for a way to make God's love for his people sound larger than life. And this is maybe the most famous part of the Psalm verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So David says God's love is impossibly big. His forgiveness is impossibly wide. But God is not removed and distant from us. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So he's near to us. He's like a loving and concerned father. So he's doing these great and possible things, but he, he loves us. He's in relationship with us. And then, for just a brief moment, David pauses. And he shifts our focus away from God. Right in the middle of this psalm, he starts talking about us. He starts talking about humans. Look at what he says. Verse 14. For he knows our... Frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. In other words, David in the midst of worship. Thinking about the amazing God that we serve, he pauses and it's like he's asking himself this question Who are we that we should receive all these benefits from God? Who are we that God deals with us in mercy, in love? Who are we that God deals with us at all? We are dust. Our days are like grass. Our good days are like a flower. Pretty. But here one day and gone the next. In a word... (coughs) We're insignificant. By contrast, David highlights this feeling of insignificance. And then he quickly brings us back to thinking about God. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So David reminds us that God's benefits are extended through covenants, and they carry generational blessings to covenant keepers. We could preach a series on that alone. Can't do it, but just pay attention to the end, okay? Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, And His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Verse 21, Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So I want you to notice that David concludes this psalm by highlighting the significance of God and his angels and everything that God has created. God is king and everywhere is his kingdom. The angels are the mighty ones of God, busy doing the will of God. All creation bows in worship to God. And then I love just almost a tagline as a, as a footnote After considering the vast significance of God and everything in the universe that belongs to Him, David just kind of adds his own little voice right there at the end Bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you wanted to map out the flow of this psalm, and this is very simplistic, okay? This is not heavy theological, this is just me. How would I map this psalm out? Really simply, it's this. God is awesome. Verses 1 through 13. We're insignificant. 14 to 16. But guess what? God is awesome. Verses 17 through 22. Right? Notice um, how that kind of breaks down. That's the psalm. Now... Why are we here? Why is this the first Sunday in Advent? Why are we talking about this psalm? Um, We're here to consider our longing for significance and how it relates to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, okay? Let's start with the author of the psalm, okay? We've been studying David now for months. David wrote this psalm. David, in his lifetime, was the most significant person on the planet. I don't think that's a stretch. I think probably during David's lifetime, he was the most significant person on the planet. He's arguably one of the most significant people to ever live on the earth. I mean, they wrote songs about David while he was alive. How many people in history can say that? And yet, in spite of that fact, David demonstrates in this psalm what I see as just kind of a a remarkable humility. And really, in all the songs that he wrote in the psalms, um, David did not believe his own press. He did some really remarkable things empowered by the Spirit of God, right? Um, He was also far from perfect. We know this as well, but David shows us what it's like to be humbled by your relationship with God. David knew his place. He was the king, but he still understood that he was made of dust, Compared to the God of the universe, even the most significant person on the planet felt his insignificance. And that's why we're here. Now, I want you to stop for just a minute and consider the longing for significance that we experience in modern culture. And maybe you haven't really thought about this, but think about the value that we place on significance, on what we think is significant, right? In the eyes of the world, the most significant people on the planet are the most newsworthy. Political figures, celebrities, professional athletes, Um in the last 10 years, influencers, whatever that is, right? These are the people that we think are the most significant people. They're the people that we pay the most attention to, followed by maybe people in high-paying jobs, right? So either you're famous or you make a lot of money because you have a profession or career that lends itself to that. Um, I did some research this week on young people's career aspirations versus reality, okay? And it was really interesting. This is not going to surprise some of you, but it might surprise some of you. There was a major study that was published last year, and it was a global study, on the career goals of 600,000 15-year-olds from 41 countries. Okay. Now listen, this is crazy. Exactly half of them said that they want to work in one of 10 popular careers as an adult. Now, some of those careers were pretty normal. You know, we, we all know somebody that does them, but But four of them, so actors, athletes, dancers, and musicians were among the top ten, okay? But in reality, less than 1% of them will end up working in any of those ten jobs, not just the popular ones. But 300,000 of the 600,000 said that's what they want to be when they grow up, okay? In fact... Only 4% of adults alive today say that they are now working the job that they dreamed of as a child. Isn't that interesting? And the odds of your name ever in your lifetime being listed on Wikipedia is 1 in 10,000. And that includes people who, like, probably put their own name on Wikipedia, right? Um, It's it's very, you know, it's not not common to get famous on any level, even, like, locally. One in 10,000. But we are fascinated with significant people. Last week, um, my son and I were on the way uh, to Grenada to hunt. And we're driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, Soldier Boy passes us in his yellow McLaren, okay, on I-55, just outside Batesville, and he gets off the Batesville exit. I instantly felt, you know that's where he's from, did y'all know that's where he's from? I instantly felt cooler, and all I did was get passed by a celebrity on the interstate, Okay? But I was texting Roxanne, guess who we just saw? Soldier Boy. You know, it's like, whatever. Um, but listen, by our 20s, most of us, we, we know we're never going to be famous. But what that then translates into, okay, is this feeling, this, this longing for our lives to count. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm probably not going to be famous, Probably not going to be wealthy. But I just want my life to count, right? I want my life to matter. I want to do something important. And while I don't believe that that desire is all bad, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't at all care about doing something valuable. Um, But how we measure that is often very skewed. And I think it's skewed by our sin. Some of that longing for significance is is more than just a desire to have value. Some of it, according to the Bible, is actually a desire to be equal with God. It's a desire that sin creates inside of us to be equal with God, to sit in the place of God. Deep down, there's this desire in the human heart to actually be the most significant person in our own lives. And if you think about it, you're not even that. You realize that? You're not even the most significant person in your own life. But that's how we live. And very often, if I look at my words and my actions, they reveal that desire, that longing. My sin wants me, Mike, to think, that I'm the most important person in every room I walk into. And that's just not okay. It's just not okay. There's something that Jesus said very often to His disciples. might have been the most important lesson Jesus was trying to teach His disciples. You know what it was? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Let's think about Jesus for a moment. Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but I want you to just consider for just a second what that means, okay? We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We believe God is Became a man. What did David say about humans in Psalm 103? He said, God knows our frame. He remembers what? That we are dust. And that's David's way of saying we're insignificant compared to God's eternal majesty. I mean, it's metaphorical, but it's also reality, right? We literally were made from dust. If you believe Genesis, and I do, (laughs) but what did Jesus do? He became dust. He became one of us. In a sense, Jesus gave up his significance to become like us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the incarnation. He says... Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, our our longing for significance is, is right there. It's not the point. Okay, the point is Jesus doesn't need that. But we are the ones who count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's us. That's what Jesus came to redeem us from. Thinking that we are somehow on the level of God in our own lives, in our own way of thinking. We count equality with God as something to be grasped. Jesus did not. He does not. And though he's actually equal with God, he emptied himself to become like us. He did it by choice. And after Jesus did that, God exalted him and gave him a name above every name as he should. Right. But listen to what that says. Listen to what that means. As Scottish pastor John Duncan once said, the dust of the earth now sits on the throne of heaven. And that's crazy. That's not a story written by humans. I just don't believe that. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you? As a Christian, I'm significant because I am not my own. I'm significant because I am not my own. I'm significant because I belong to God in Christ Jesus. Which means I could be the most famous person on the earth in my lifetime. And it would not add anything at all to what Jesus has already accomplished for me. Nothing. It would add nothing. It also means I'm never... The most important person in my life, or in anyone else's life. And this is a hard one. This is I me. Mean, think about this for a second, right? I'm not actually the most important person in my life. It's not where my significance comes from. It doesn't come from the numbers on my paycheck the balance of my 401k. It doesn't come from the size of my house or the price tag of my car. It doesn't come from the number of followers or friends I have. My significance comes directly from the Lord of heaven who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's where our significance as Christians comes from. Which means you don't have to do something big to get God's attention to matter to Him. You could spend your entire life caring for one person who can't take care of themselves and nobody ever know about it. And it's beautiful to Him. insignificant to the world. And Christmas is a good time to remember this. It's a good time to remember that the universe is bigger than me. It's a great time for us to be humbled by the birth of Christ. It's an opportunity for us to repent of the selfish, self-promoting tendencies, and our culture pits them right up against each other at Christmas, right? I mean, it's right there. It's an opportunity for us to look at that to ask deeper questions about what it is that we're longing for. And then it's an opportunity to love and to serve others, counting them more significant than myself, as, as Paul says in Philippians. Um, so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, this is... The good news, that Jesus came, became like us for us. And David really didn't understand, he couldn't have, how could he have understood what he was writing when he said that you would remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And we can't even visualize that. In our minds, every single person in the room right now with their eyes closed is thinking about arms stretched out as wide as you can. And what is that a picture of? It's a picture of the cross. David had no idea what he was saying. But in your good providence, you knew exactly what he was saying. The only way for our sins to be removed from us all this stuff we've talked about, all this selfishness, all this ambition, all this longing to be something that we're not, all this uncomfortable part of our nature, it's, it's all rooted in sin. And you have removed it from the Christian as far as the east is from the west in the death of Christ. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us um, to focus our hearts, our tensions, our minds, to have this mind about ourselves that is in You, that is ours in You. We pray this in Your great name. Amen.